Man, the music just so beautiful again uh, today, guys, and just thank you for leading us. Um, joy of every longing heart. I hope that as uh, your heart um, inevitably has a longing inside of it that can only be filled by Christ, I pray that his love has filled your heart and you are experiencing his joy uh, this Christmas season. It's great to be with you guys today. I want to invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to take it now and open it up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. And again, I just want to reiterate what Jeff said earlier. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being here with us today, especially those of you who are here for the first time. We know that week in and week out, we have people who are joining us as new guests, and we're so grateful to have each and every one of you uh, with us today, whether you're joining us right here in the auditorium, if you're listening in the overflow room or joining us online, uh, we are so glad to have you. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, I really look forward to hearing your story. If you would be so kind as to introduce yourself, if you're new with us today, I'd love to meet you. Um, Today, we are continuing our sermon series called The Wonders of His Love. And uh, we are headlong into the Christmas season, and I'm excited about Christmas. I love the Christmas season. Um, I love gathering with God's people during the Christmas season. And I hope that over the past couple weeks, as we've been going through the sermon series, I hope that the goal of this sermon series is being accomplished in you. The goal of this series is to help God's people remember and then rejoice in the amazing aspects of God's love, right? That we want to have this awe in our hearts that says, God, your love truly is full of wonder. It is wonderful. Um, And so we've been highlighting in the series various aspects of God's love that are truly calling us to be in amazement of him and astonishment of his love. Uh, Two weeks ago, when we kicked off this series, I talked about God's inherent love, about uh, how 1 John teaches us that love is not just what God does, it's who he is. And uh, his love, godly love flowing from him into the world is as natural as uh, water flowing from a fountain, right? That's the, he is the fountainhead of love that, uh, that the world may know godly love comes from him. Um, we talked uh, last week, our second week, about God's predetermined love from Ephesians chapter 1. We talked about how um, if you are saved, if you are one of God's people, It's because God set his love on you before there was a you, right? That he chose us to be in Christ before the foundations of the world. That's what we talked about last week, his predetermined love. Today, I want to talk to you about God's unbreakable love, his unbreakable love. We're going to see today that the love of God that calls you is the same love that's going to keep you. And the more you believe that, the more that you believe that God's love is unbreakable, the more that you'll find your faith is unshakable. That nothing can separate you from it. That, that belief will be rooted in your heart. And come what may in this lifetime, uh, your faith in the Lord will, be, will remain strong. Um, again, our scripture text for today is going to revolve around Romans chapter 8. We're going to focus on verses 35 through 39. But as we go, we're also going to expand and kind of look at some of the surrounding verses in context as well. But verse um, 38 of our text says very clearly that nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love. So our text is going to be all about God's unbreakable love, that no thing can separate you from it, that no one can separate you from it. It is unbreakable. It lasts forever. Now, before we get into it, quick little story. Uh, Yesterday, 
I got to officiate my first wedding in our new auditorium here. Yesterday was the wedding for two of our staff members, Bryson Jackson and now Skylar Jackson, Mr. and Mrs. Jackson. So we're thrilled for them. And yesterday when I officiated this wedding, there came a point in the ceremony, you guys know where it is, where you pronounce them husband and wife, the groom kisses his bride, and you know, uh, they, they stand and the cheer and everybody claps as they make their way down the center aisle. Now, when they made their way out, there was a song that was played on the, uh, on the little overhead here. And that song is a song by Natalie Cole. And that song is called, um, This Will Be an Everlasting Love, right? Some of you guys probably know that song. I, they, they played the song and I thought to myself, all right, this is going to be my perfect illustration for tomorrow's sermon, right? And so they played that, they walked out. Um, some of you guys know that song. Uh, I've sang songs the past two weeks for you here. I will not be singing this song for us today, which I'm sure many of you will say yes and amen. Praise the Lord for that. Although uh, I'm kind of curious how it would go if I did the forever and ever and ever and ever lines, right? Okay, so it was such a, a sweet uh, moment for these two. And uh, really the whole day was just, was worshipful and it felt more like church than a wedding. And it was, it was awesome. Um, but as sweet as that moment was, right, when they walked down the aisle, and as sweet as that song is about, um, you know, this human love that, that lasts forever, here's the truth that we all know deep in our hearts. None of our romantic, human, loving relationships, none of those relationships are going to last forever in that way. Um, it's part of what makes our love with our spouse, uh, makes it so precious. I remember on the night that Rachel and I got married, we had our first night together. I woke up in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., and I had the strangest, most startling thought in my mind. And my thought when I woke up in the middle of the night was this. One day, either Rachel or I are going to die. And this love that we have as husband and wife is, it's going to be done. And in that moment, what did it do? It caused me to cherish my wife and love her and reiterated the, the, the blessing that it is to be able to have human love like that. But even the strongest of human love is temporary. It may last a lifetime, but that romantic love between man and wife, it doesn't last forever because our human love is not unbreakable. Praise be to God that his love is not human love. <laughs> Praise be to God that his love is indeed unbreakable. When you have it, you're never going to lose it. Today, I want to talk to you about this love of God that never goes away. Um, I want to talk to you today about when he saves you, he keeps you. We're going to talk about how if you're saved, you're secure in God's love. And anytime we start to talk about things pertaining to the doctrines of eternal security and that type of thing. There's, of course, different views on that. It can be a little tense. Believers in various churches and different denominations have different views on this matter. And some of them, you know, some people have had really strong disagreements on this. Churches have split over this. Some people will believe that once God has set his love on you, he never takes it away. Others will, will say, no, it can be taken away. You'll hear people say things all the time, like, no, we're uh, once saved, always saved. Other people will say, no, you're not always saved once you're saved. So there's different views on this. Those views can be strong. There may be some of you guys here today who have a different view than what I'm going to teach or espouse today. And I just want to reiterate, like, I'm glad that you're here today. My, my goal is to be able to faithfully and I hope lovingly present God's word in a way that's clear 
And I hope it persuades you to take a step towards believing in God's unbreakable love. Um, Here's how I want to work through today's message. I want to read in just a moment our main passage, Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. I want to teach through this message in the same fashion I've been doing the sermons in this series. Three parts. I want to start out by talking about um, what his unbreakable love doesn't mean. Then we'll talk about what it does mean. And then we'll talk about why his unbreakable love won't be broken. Okay. Then we're going to conclude with a time of prayer and a public congregational reading of scripture as we've done in our previous two weeks. So let me read our text for today. I want to read Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. God's word says this. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God for his true and perfect word. I hope that you are finding yourself wrapped secure in the unbreakable love of God today. I want to talk first about what his unbreakable love doesn't mean. All right, I'm going to give you two things that his unbreakable love doesn't mean. And I hope that as we go through these two things, I hope that it kind of just addresses uh, some of the opposition or some of the questions that people can sometimes have when we talk about God's unbreakable love, eternal security, the preservation of the saints, whatever it may be. When we talk about these doctrines, some people can struggle with it. I just kind of want to address these right up front. Here's the first thing that his unbreakable love doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you are free to sin as you wish. Okay. It doesn't mean that. So some people will say, okay, you believe in the doctrine of eternal security. Well, then if you really believe that, that means you don't need to really worry about holiness or righteous living. You don't have to pursue the fight against sin. You can kind of just live how you want. I remember that, uh, I don't know, years ago, I met with a young man. We went to Chipotle. Uh, He had made a profession of faith, um, yet his lifestyle, he was really getting into some trouble and some poor decision-making and really living in sin. And uh, we went and I sat down and I talked to them um, about his life and his profession of faith and his lifestyle choices. And I remember him looking at me and he just very forthrightly said to me, Jason, I basically believe I can do what I want because since I'm saved, that means I'm going to heaven and I can just make whatever choice I want because God has already forgiven all my sins. All right. And so his statements like greatly concerned me. Okay. And so we started to open up the Bible together but he started to reveal that he was really cherishing his sin, not cherishing the cross. He was maximizing his own personal desires, minimizing the work of Christ on his behalf. And we talked about several passages of scriptures, including Romans chapter six, verse one, where the apostle Paul writes and he says, what? Shall we go on sinning so that God's grace may abound? God forbid, right? By no means. Uh, those who have died to sin should no longer live in it. Uh, So we talked through Romans 6. We talked through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, which says that there will be a worse punishment for those who trample underfoot the Son of God by profaning the blood that he shed to forgive our sins. And we talked through all that. And this young man just 
dismissed the teaching of God's word. He chose to live his own way. And in doing so, he was kind of living out that concern that some people who struggle with the doctrine of eternal security, he was kind of living out what their concern is, that that if you believe in eternal security and you've prayed the prayer and you've asked Jesus in your heart, then you can just live how you want. And I just want to say to you today, the, the problem with this young man wasn't that he did believe in the doctrine of eternal security. The problem with this young man was that he didn't have faith in Christ as his savior. All right. That was the struggle because God's word shows us that the saved, those who are truly born again, will, we're not going to use God's love as a permission slip to go sin. Right? When you've received God's unbreakable love and you've trusted in Christ crucified for you, then you're going to fight against the sin and be living in repentance and by God's grace, producing the fruit of holiness and righteousness in your life. So believing in God's unbreakable love does not mean that you're free to sin. You're not. By the way, this young man that I mentioned, uh, you know, at that point, he, he claimed to have been a Christian and made a profession of faith. But as the years went on, he really started to reject his faith. And even still to this day, to the best of my knowledge, really has a hardness of heart against the things of God and against the beliefs of Christianity. And I pray that one day he will be softened and, and brought to faith in the Lord. But it leads me to the second thing that I want to share with you today. The second thing that believing in God's unbreakable love doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that some won't fall away. Now you can, just because we believe in God's unbreakable love, just because we espouse the doctrines of eternal security, it doesn't mean that some won't fall away. Here's, here's what I mean. Let me explain. First, define my terms. When I talk about falling away, what I'm talking about is people who what the Bible calls apostatize, right? They are, they are apostates. They uh, have come into the church. They have maybe even at one point professed faith, um, but then eventually some way they have a, somewhere along the line, they have a turning of heart and they reject the faith that they said they once embraced. That's called apostasy. We read about it in the book of Hebrews and Jude and other passages of scripture. So again, whenever we talk about our eternal security and God's unbreakable love, Sometimes people will say, yeah, but what about apostasy, right? Those people, they'll say things like, you know, scripture gives us examples of people who were saved, but then they became unsaved. And they'll bring up passages like Hebrews chapter six, verse four through six, which says this, it says that it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of God and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them to repentance. They'll bring up things like Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8, other places where Jesus talks about the parable of the sower. And he says that the human heart is kind of like soils, different types of soils. Different people's heart can be like different soils where the seed of the gospel falls and it does different things. And, and Jesus says that one of the types of soils that our heart can be like, it's like rocky ground where the seed of the gospel falls in our hearts and and at first we receive it with joy and, and, and we may make a profession of faith and there may be tears and there's this immediate outward expression of, of thankfulness for the gospel. But then Jesus goes on to say that that rocky ground, eventually what happens is uh, these people's hearts, um, they, they get cold to the gospel. When hard times come, they fall away. So yes, the scripture talks about people who fall away from the faith and we need to readily 
embrace that. We just need to understand it correctly. So here's what I want you to understand today. Here's the truth. You can accept both the doctrines of eternal security and the reality of apostasy at the same time. And here's how. It's because you come to understand it like this. Those who commit apostasy and fall away, they show, they reveal that they were never saved all along. Apostates are the people who John writes about in 1 John 2, 19, when he says this, if they were of us, then they wouldn't have gone out from us, right? If they were really saved, if they were really born again, they wouldn't leave the faith. Apostates are who Jesus was talking about when he talked about that rocky soil. People who may have made a one-time profession of faith, but it wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't saving belief. And how do we know that? Because they didn't produce fruit that lasts is what Jesus talks about in his parable in Matthew chapter 13. They had a type of belief, but it was not genuine saving belief. I I think we all need to come to grips with that reality. There is a type of belief that is not saving belief. There's a lot I could share about that. I have in other settings. I encourage you to study the parable of the soils on your own and Hebrews chapter six on your own. But those who commit apostasy prove that they had never really received God's saving and unbreakable love in the first place. So God's unbreakable love doesn't mean that people won't fall away. They will. It also doesn't mean that people are free to sin, right? They're not. So I just wanted to get those two clarifiers out there right away. That's two things that God's unbreakable love doesn't mean. Now let's talk about what it does mean. Again, I want to give you two things straight out of the book of Romans, two things that his unbreakable love does mean. It does mean, first of all, that no person can separate you from his love. Right? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says right here in verse 35? Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul starts out by asking this who question. Who can separate us from it? Um, a couple years ago, my oldest son Gideon and I went to a Cincinnati Bengals game down at Paul Brown Stadium. It was a Thursday night game. It was on TV. The house was packed. All right. Any Bengals fans here this morning? Don't be shy, okay? Don't be shy. If you're shy in a minute, my sermon illustration's not going to work, all right? So I need you to like come alive here, Bengals fans. Okay, now if you're a Bengals fan, you know the chant, the, the Who Day chant that everybody does at the Bengals game, right? I'm sitting there listening to like 50,000 people in the stadium go through this together. How does it go? Who Day? Who Day? Who Day think going to beat them Bengals? And then the crowd erupts with nobody, right? Everybody just gets fired up. It's crazy and everybody just goes nuts, right? So the who question is entitled to bring about the nobody answer. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing right here in, uh, in Romans 8, 30, 35. When he asks the who question, it's not like he's suggesting that there's an actual answer that somebody can do it. It's intended to lead you to the answer of nobody. Right? Nobody can separate you from his love, right? That's uh, when he asks the who question here in verse 35, let's not forget that this verse, verse 35, actually falls within a fuller context of scripture. And actually the verses preceding verse 35 actually ask a whole lot of other who questions. So let's just read 
um, verses 31 through 34 and kind of look at all these who questions that Paul is addressing about who can separate us. Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? And that's important right there. In just a second, we're going to talk about what these things are. Okay, so we're going to come back to verses 29 and 30 in a minute. But Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So verse 31 starts out with an if, right? It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? When you study the original Greek language, that word if can also be translated as since, right? So it would be accurate to read this and say, since God is for us, who can be against us, right? And basically Paul is saying, look, Christian, if God's on your side, like nobody else stands a chance, right? There's, there's no person that can separate, separate you from his love. Why? Because God is for his people. Listen, I want you to hear this today. Every Christian in the room, just raise your hand up real quick. You trust in Christ, you're saved, your hand up, right? I want every hand up to understand this. God is for you. God is for you, right? And, and yes, God is for God. God is for glorifying his own name. God is for magnifying his, his name. He wants his glory to cover the earth as much as the water covers the sea. So God is for God, but God is also for his family. God loves his people. He is, if you are one of his, he is for you not against you. And he proved how much he is for you by sending his son to die for you. His one and only son, he sent to die. If God won't hold Jesus back from you, he's going to graciously give you everything else that is good for you in this life and into eternity. You don't have to worry about whether or not God is for you. Paul continues with these who questions in verse 33. Verse 33, he says, who shall bring any charge against God's, God's elect? Pay attention to that word elect. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Listen, um, to be justified, you know, I teach my kids this. I've taught this in our church before. The word justified means that God treats me just as if I'd never sinned, right? To be justified means that God looks at your record of sin and he sees that you've trusted in Christ who's paid for it and he erases your sin. He says, you're not guilty. He has no legal standing anymore as being guilty in his eyes, all because of Jesus. And so who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, nobody can bring a charge of sin against God's elect in the sense of Nobody can bring that charge and say, God, you should punish that Christian for that sin because God already punished Jesus for it. But man, Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he loves to accuse God's people, doesn't he? You ever have those moments where Satan just brings these accusations into your heart and he'll whisper things into your ear and into your mind like, you know what? If you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you were truly born again, you wouldn't struggle in that way. If you were really saved, you wouldn't have that doubt. You wouldn't have that fear. You wouldn't have committed that sin over again. There's no way you can be saved. There's no way that you're one of God's own. And so Satan brings these accusations against believers. But what Paul is writing here in the sense is that if God has elected you, he has justified you. And that means if your sins are forgiven, then Satan's accusations hold no water. You are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Who can bring a charge? Nobody. 
Then he asks one more who question in verse 34. He says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us. Right? So if you're a Christian, then Jesus intercedes for you. He stands in the gap. Right? In the areas where you fall short, Jesus doesn't. In the areas where you're sinful, Jesus is sinless. In the areas where you're not good enough, Jesus is good enough. In the areas where you're imperfect, Jesus is perfect. In the areas where you're unrighteous, Jesus is perfectly righteous. Jesus intercedes for you. So Christians in the room, let me ask you, if Jesus intercedes for you, who can condemn you? If God has justified you, who can accuse you? If God is for you, who can come against you? And all the Christians, like a bunch of Bengals fans, said, nobody, right? Nobody. Nobody can come against you when God is for you. Nothing, no one, no person can separate you from his love. The family member that you're going to see at Christmas that hates that you're a Christian cannot separate you from his love. The secular professor who's teaching your class and wants to turn you against your Christian values cannot separate you from God's love. The person who raises an argument against your Christian faith that you're not ready to answer in the moment, not going to separate you from God's love. Satan himself can't separate you from God's love. And listen, Christian, even when you commit the sins that you never thought you would commit, not going to separate you from God's love. No one can separate you from God's love. That's the first thing that his unshakable, his unbreakable love means. It also means this, not just no person, but no circumstance can separate you from his love. See, when hard circumstances arise, you know, we can, we can wonder if God still loves us, right? And Paul lists a whole bunch, of, whole bunch of really hard circumstances here in verse 35. He says, shall tribulation, shall distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Right? Are any of those things going to separate us from God's love? Because that's a tough list of like circumstances to deal with. Right? If any of us today had to face those things, we might be asking the question, does God still love me? Has he given up on me? Has he removed me? I know he loved me before, but things have changed. Has he taken his love off of me? I mean, remember, Paul is answering this question, who can separate us from God's love? And again, in the original Greek language, the Greek word for separate is also a synonym for the word divorce. So Paul is really saying, can any circumstance in this world divorce you from God's love where he leaves that relationship with you, where he breaks off his love from you? Because remember, like these circumstances were hard and Paul, like he, he had walked through all those things himself. Famine, hunger, nakedness, sword, like all those things. I don't have time to go back and show you example after example in scripture where he endured all those things. But if you were here during our study of the book of Acts, you might remember some of the things that Paul faced on his missionary journeys. These weren't just kind of hypothetical, exaggerated difficulties that he faced. These were real and he had gone through them, which is why he writes what he writes in verse 36 when he says, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Right here, Paul is quoting 
Psalm chapter 44. Remember, Paul was a Jew. He's familiar with the Jewish scriptures, very familiar with the Old Testament. And what he's saying, he's, by quoting the Old Testament, he's saying the Jews back in the day of David and the Psalms, they understood that as God's people, they were going to go through persecution and hardship and, and suffering for the, the sake and for the name of their God, just like the prophets suffered, prophets of Israel, just like Jesus himself suffered, just like the disciples suffered. Paul is saying it's the reality that people who follow the Lord uh, are being, you know, um, they're being persecuted for their faith. People are coming against them. And so Paul is now saying to these Romans reading his letter, he's saying, you know, for the, for the sake of serving God and sharing the gospel and getting the gospel to people like you, Romans, he's saying, I feel like I'm being killed all day long. I feel like a sheep that's led to the slaughter. Yet despite all that suffering and the depth of it, Paul could then go on to write these words in verses 37 through 39, where he says, can any of these things separate us? All these hardships, all this being led to the slaughter, all this persecution all day long. Here's what he says in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he listed off all those kind of seven circumstances that were bad enough, and now he's going on and he's just like continuing, like, can anything separate us from God's love? Is there anything that can possibly do it? Anything in the entirety of God's created world? And he even, I love that he even lists death in there because, you know, one of the hardest things that we're going to face in this lifetime is death, right? It's a, it's a harsh reality of this world. Some of you are going into Christmas this year and uh, death is a reality that you're facing going into this Christmas season. And here in verse 38, Paul says, there is a way to be sure that even the hardship of death doesn't mean that you've been separated from God's love. Psalm 23, David wrote and he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I've said this for years and you've probably heard it before, but I'm really glad that David called it the, the valley of the shadow of death. I love that uh, he describes it as a shadow, and, and here's why. Shadows can't harm you, right? Shad shadows are no real threat. So for the Christian, death is it's a, it's a shadow for us. It's, none of us want to die, but we know that when we do die, we don't really die. We just go to be in the presence of the Lord. And so, in other words, for the Christian, death is no real threat. It's just a shadow it's like, think about the valley of the shadow of death. Imagine that you're standing on one side of a mountain. You're looking down into a valley and it's dark and it's a shadow and it's mysterious. And, and so you, you walk down into that shadowy valley. Well, what's true of a valley? You're going to come up on the other side. And when you come up out of that valley of the shadow of death, you're going to come up out of there right into the arms of Jesus. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, death is not a house. Death is a porch. 
He says, it's the pathway to the goal, right? He went on to write this, and I love this quote from Spurgeon. He says, there is an essential difference between the decease of the godly and the death of the ungodly. Death comes to the ungodly man as penal infliction, but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. To the sinner, it is an execution. To the saint, it is an undressing from his sins and infirmities. Death to the wicked is the king of terrors. Death to the saint is the end of terrors and the commencement of glory. Praise the Lord right there. If you are a believer, no circumstance, not even death, can separate you from God's love. No circumstance can do it. No person can do it. That's what God's unbreakable love does mean. Now, that's what Paul says. Nothing can separate us. And like, I don't know about you, but I imagine like Paul, like really like fired up saying this with passion, like in his heart, he really believes it. Like nothing can separate me. There's nothing in this world. So what makes Paul so confident, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we all had that type of confident faith all the time? Like, you know, we don't, sometimes we waver, right? What makes Paul so confident that he can say, I am sure, right? I am sure that nothing can separate me. Well, here's what we're going to see in our text. You know what made Paul so confident? Paul had confidence in God's unbreakable love because Paul understood God's predetermined love. All right, now, I told you we were going to hearken back here to election and predestination and all of that. And I'm not doing that just because this is my little hobby horse and I like to talk about it. I am doing that because Paul has said some beautiful things here in verses 31 through 39. Very important things. But again, every text has a context. And you know what led up to Paul saying these wonderful things about how if God be for us, who can be against us? You know what led up to him saying nothing can separate you? It's what he wrote in verses 29 through 30. Let's read this. It says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now listen. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So this is Paul talking about predestination and he says that God predestines and then calls and then justifies and then glorifies his people. This is what theologians have called uh, kind of the theological golden chain of God's salvation. That these are links that are linked together. They can't be broken apart. If you break one of them apart, they all fall apart. He's saying like, look, these this, this chain can't be broken, this logical flow of how this works, that God predestines you, then he calls you to himself. And when he calls you to himself, he justifies you and forgives all your sins. And if all of you, your sins have been forgiven and you're justified, then you're going to be glorified in the end. He's going to bring you all the way home to heaven, right? This isn't just some randomly placed, you know, couple verses about predestination. This is the very belief that Paul, you know, you know has in his heart that drives him to say, you know what? You've been predestined called, justified, you're going to be glorified. And you know what that means? If God be for you, who can be against you? It means that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. It means that nothing can separate you from the love that God placed on you before time. Right? That's how this all ties together. Um, 
It's God's predetermined love for you that guarantees his unbreakable love for you. And that's why you need to believe both, right? That's why you can believe both. If you've been chosen, God's not going to unchoose you. If you've been called, he's going to keep you. If you are saved, you are secure. Why? Because nobody can pluck you out of the hand of Christ. All those that the father has given the son will come to him. No one can pluck you out of his hand. No one can separate you from God's love, no thing. So let me bring this message home with a question for you. Here's the question. I want all of you to think about this today. Are you sure of his unbreakable love for you? Right? That's the question for you. Are you sure? Paul says in verse 38, I am sure that nothing can separate me. So my question for you today is, are you sure of God's unbreakable love for you? Let me ask it this way. Make it a little more sharp, a little more thought-provoking. Is there anything that could happen in your life that would make you conclude, God doesn't love me? Hard things to think about. What if your child dies? What if you get struck with an ailment that leaves you paralyzed? What if your spouse decides they're going to walk out on you? What if your kids want nothing to do with you anymore? What if, what if somebody made a really strong argument against the Christian faith that you didn't know how to respond to? What if you sin in a way that you never thought you could? Listen, the truth is that any of these things may make you question God's love, but none of them can make you separated from God's love. When God saves you, he secures you. No person can take away his love. No circumstance can take away his love. If he called you, he's going to keep you. Oh, the wonders of God's love, his unbreakable love. Are you sure that you have it today? That's the question. Are you sure? Because the more that you are sure that his love is unbreakable, the more that your faith will become unshakable. Is your faith unshakable today? I want us to close with a word of prayer. I'd like to ask everybody, just if you would, just bow your heads with me. Just bow your head, close your eyes, just kind of reflect on this wonderful aspect of God's love that he really does love you with an unbreakable love. So anytime we talk about God's unbreakable love, Inevitably, there are people in this room that struggle to believe that God's love for you is unbreakable, that nothing can take it away. We go through seasons of doubt. We go through seasons of struggle. And I want to pray for two types of people in the room. So I just want to ask two questions. Here's the first one. If you are one of the people in the room that can really struggle to believe that God's love for you is unbreakable, if you really struggle and maybe right now you're in a season of struggling that God will never take his love off of you. Maybe it's a circumstance that's difficult, that's making you feel like maybe God has abandoned you. Maybe it's a sin that you've committed, a regret that you're carrying around. Maybe it's just something that makes you doubt and wonder, a fear that you carry. If you're one of the people here today that can, right now, you can just readily admit, I struggle to believe God's love for me is unbreakable. Would you just lift your hand right now where you are? 
I see you guys to my right. Keep it up for just a minute to my right. Some on my left, left side of the congregation. And hands up all over the place. Thank you. You can place your hands down. I appreciate you raising your hands. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. I also just want to ask you today, we're talking about God's love, his wonderful love. And some of you may have a hard time believing God's love, right? We're about to go into Christmas. We're going to give gifts to each other. Gifts are intended to be received. And maybe for some of you, like, you've just never received the gift of God's unbreakable love. It's a gift that he's given to you, this for salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, the death of Christ in your place on the cross. He did that so your sins could be forgiven. But maybe there might be a person here today who's never received the salvation that God's offered you because you've never had a moment where you've said, God, I am sorry for my sins. I believe Christ died for them. I receive the gift of your salvation. I receive your love. If you've never had that moment, but today you have this tugging in your heart where you're like, you know what? I'm drawn. Today's my day. I need to receive God's unbreakable love. I've never received it before, but I want to receive it in my life today. If you're here today and that's you, would you also raise your hand? I, want to, I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out in any way. I just want to pray for you. Anybody in the congregation today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful love. We praise you that your love is inherent, that it is predetermined, and that it is unbreakable. And so, Lord, as your people gathered here today, that you have called your own, you brought us into your family, we praise you that you give us a relentless love that will never be turned away. So for those in this room who can really struggle and maybe are struggling even today with believing that you truly love them and you will never lift your hand of love off of them, I pray today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would comfort them in their hearts. That there would be this amazing comfort of Christ that meets them right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. that doubts would be gone, that fears would be removed, that chains of guilt would be broken, that people would be set free, and that this would be a church filled with people who rejoice in the fact that you will never take your hand of love off of us. We thank you, Lord, for your unbreakable love that lasts forever. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Just like the past two weeks, we're going to close today by a congregational responsive reading. I want us today to read some selections from Psalm chapter 136. This is an Old Testament passage that is a wonderful reminder for us to proclaim out loud together about God's unbreakable love. It's 26 verses long. Every verse has this repeated refrain that says that his steadfast love endures forever. We've picked selections from that chapter that we want to just proclaim out loud together. So I want to invite you to stand as we speak forth, right, from our hearts that we are a church that actually believes that God's love is steadfast and it will never be taken away from his people. So wherever you see these words underlined, I want you just to proclaim them 
from your heart, right out loud with me, nothing hindered, all the joy, all the thankfulness proclaimed together. Where you see it underlined, you just read it right out loud with me. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone does great wonders. Steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endured forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen.